You're listening to the sermon podcast of North Valley Baptist Church. This week's message is preached by Pastor Scott McGrady. Well, if you would take your Bibles and turn to Titus chapter 3. Titus 3, we'll be looking at verses... 1 through 7, Titus 3, verses 1 through 7. There is a a concept in our day called pay it forward. Uh, And this is where someone responds to kindness that has been shown to them by paying it forward. Uh, That since they have been shown kindness, they will turn around and show kindness to someone else. My understanding is that this movement started by an author when she wrote this book, Pay It Forward, uh, Kathy Ryan Hyde, and then inspired by her, uh, Blake Beattie, and I don't know really much about either one of these people, Blake Beattie, he started by being inspired by her, started Pay It Forward Day uh, in 2007. I guess Pay It Forward Day is April 28th. And so again, this concept is someone has been kind to me, so I will then turn around and show kindness to someone else. And as I thought about this, I wondered, okay, so where does this start? Where does this act of kindness start? What if no one is kind to me? (laughs) What if, in that sense, I have nothing to pay forward? I don't, I don't know what the basis is or, or by what standard the world may look to pay it forward. But the Christian, the follower of Christ, has every reason to be kind to others. The Christian has every reason to be courteous, whether or not a person has been kind or courteous to us. Because we have a God who has shown us such great depths of kindness. We have a a great basis to, if you would, pay it forward. For us, the standard is God's moral law. And it starts with God's kindness as known through the gospel. When I can understand how kind God has been to me, then I should be compelled to pay it forward. I I should show that same kindness, that same consideration, that, that same love that he showed towards me. I should show it to others. Even those who, for one reason or another, I find it hard to be kind to. Even those who, for one reason or another, have not been kind to me. I still am called to show the kindness and love that God has shown to me. As we've been going through Paul's letter to Titus, and we've been seeing how Paul has been calling the church, and how Paul is calling the church to be, we've seen the qualifications for the leaders within the church. We've also seen some characteristics of unqualified leaders as well. And we've seen how the church is to be at large, And last week, we discussed how the gospel, uh, God's saving grace, is the basis for how the church is to be, for the the Christian life that we live, for the the behaviors that are to be found within the church. 
And now we really continue this idea of how we are to live as we come to chapter 3 and we see the attitudes that Paul calls for, that Paul says should be found within the church. And specifically the attitudes towards authority, uh, specifically governing authority, and the attitude that there should be towards all people in general. And as we discuss, too, the basis for these attitudes, it should be no surprise to us that as, as we continue to talk about the living out of our Christian lives, of how the church should be, that the basis for the Christian living was the gospel. And so as we're living out the truth of the gospel, as it impacts our lives and in what we do, so then, too, it shapes and impacts our attitudes in our living out these truths. The gospel is the basis. The gospel is what empowers and energizes and completes these attitudes that are to be found within us. So as we go through the passage, we see the gospel again as the power for us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, just like we read last week. The gospel is what makes us ready for every good work. And so as we go through this text, we'll see in verse 1 the attitude that we should have towards governing authorities. In verse 2, we'll see the attitude we should have towards people in general. And then verses 3 through 7, we see the basis for this attitude. We see the gospel. So let's read this passage here for this morning. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our day in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Last week, as we left off closing out chapter 2, there in chapter 2, verse 15, we saw Paul gave Titus four commands he commanded Titus to speak or to declare God's requirements for the church. And then he commanded Titus to exhort and to rebuke with all authority. And then, lastly, he commanded that Titus not allow anyone to disregard him. So now, as we come to chapter 3, we see a fifth command. Paul commands Titus to remind the church. Which means that we can say for sure, then, that what follows here is something the church was already taught. Likely taught by Paul and maybe even already had been taught by Titus. And Titus was to remind them. We need reminders, don't we? Uh, we are a forgetful people. We need to be even reminded of things we think we know well. Things we've known for a long time. We, we need reminders. We need to be 
here in the church and as believers coming back again and again to the truth and the commands of Scripture over and over again. We need reminders of these things. We need to be continually saturating our lives in the Word of God if we're going to continue to grow in our walk with Christ, if we're going to continue to grow in perseverance in Christ and, and not be weak and feeble in spirit. We need to be coming back to the Word of God and being reminded of its truths and requirements. We need to be under the consistent teaching, the expounding of God's Word together as a church. Reminding the church is always necessary. And so Paul tells Titus to remind them. And this can be translated as continually remind them. Keep reminding them. And specifically here, the first thing Titus is to remind the church of is to be submissive to rulers and authorities. The truth is, Christians are to be a submissive people. We are to have that attitude of submissiveness. And all of us, in whatever walk of life, uh, wherever we find ourselves in our lives, and whatever our situations may be, we are all in a place where we need to submit to somebody. Uh, whether it's the submission uh, of citizens to their government, uh, or whether it is an employee to their employer, or children to their parents, or within the home as the home is led by fathers and husbands, or the church and submitting to their elders. Whatever it may be, we all find ourselves in a place where we must submit to somebody. And whatever, wherever we are where we are submitting to someone, ultimately all of us, and whatever the situation is, we are all to be in submission to Christ. And really, our submission to Christ must come first. He is the head of the church. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. We submit to him above all else. And so the Christian's attitude should be one of submission. As a matter of fact, I would argue that Christians should be known for their submission. We're not to be rebellious. We're not to be a law unto ourselves. We need to have this attitude. We need to have an attitude of submission even against our own desires. Even against our own preferences. Even at times against what we feel is best. And therefore, such a submissive attitude should lead us to being ready for every good work. Because it would lead to being obedient, which is what Paul says that we are to be. Paul tells Titus to remind the church to be obedient. Now, Paul's blanket statement here which again is in specific reference to secular governing authorities, it's reflective of the general attitude that Christians should have. But when we talk about this, many want to point out, and, and rightfully so, to be fair, uh, that there are times in Scripture when it points to the fact that there is a need for civil disobedience. And that's true. And we have examples of that in Scripture. For example, we have that with Daniel. And he wouldn't pray to Darius, and he would only pray to the one true God. We have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We have the apostles in the book of Acts that said, is it better for us to obey man or God? And clearly they were making the point they were going to obey God, and they are going to continue to preach Jesus Christ. 
We have in the book of Exodus the, the Hebrew midwives who feared God and did not obey Pharaoh. And we have Moses standing in opposition to Pharaoh. Where we are in a position to either obey earthly authorities or obey God, we obey God. Our allegiance is to him first. We are followers of Jesus Christ first. We are citizens of heaven first. God is the ruler of all over every realm of authority. And on this thought, Robert Yabroff, I believe that's how you pronounce it, he says this, Over the past century, history offers numerous examples of godly and, most think, justifiable civil disobedience on the part of Christians. Whether Bonhoeffer in opposition to the Nazis, Corrie Ten Boom and her family hiding Jews from the same tyrants, North American Christians defying racial segregation laws during the civil rights movement of the 1960s, or Christian martyrs in numerous nations refusing to renounce their faith and paying the consequences of criminal penalty for their righteousness. There are times for civil disobedience. But that does not preclude the attitude of submission that Paul is calling for here. Christians should be submissive in their attitude. We should be seeking to be as obedient as we possibly can be. We should be seeking to be good citizens. And I would argue in this, that even if there is a circumstance where we must disobey the governing authorities, let's say, for instance, they tell us we need to stop meeting as a church. Well, we're going to keep meeting as a church. We're going to obey God who commands us to meet together over the ruling authorities. But then that doesn't mean because there's an area where we are needing to disobey that we disobey with everything else. That doesn't mean now we don't have to report our income for our taxes. That doesn't mean we don't have to obey uh, traffic laws. That doesn't mean whatever else there is. No, we still have an attitude of obedience, even if we have to stand in civil disobedience. Our attitude should be we want to obey, and we will obey everywhere we can. That should be the attitude of the Christian. That is what should mark a Christian in everything. And when we have such an attitude and are looking to be obedient as as possible, then that makes us ready for every good work. That makes us ready to go out and to do the things that will help society flourish, that will help our neighbor and love them and contribute to the people around us. We must be ready for every good work. That's what we're called to. That's what Paul calls to. Calls the church in uh, in, on the island of Crete, too. And then as Paul goes on and moves on from specifically governing authorities to our attitude to people in general, Paul tells the Christians here, and, and it's whether we're talking about the government, even a government which we may have strong feelings against what they're doing and their policies that they are working with. So even if it's those kind of governments, or even if it's a brother or sister in Christ, or even if what we're talking about is concerning the most depraved of unbelievers around us, in any case, Paul calls the Christians here in our attitude to everybody that Christians are to speak evil of no one. No one. 
Now, I think we should think through what, he, what is he saying here. Does this mean that Christians are never to say anything negative about anyone? Is this to mean that we're not to point out the evil that's around us in the world? Now, I don't think that's what Paul was saying. Uh, otherwise, even in this very letter, Paul would have not upheld his own standard, as we read him speaking about the false teachers earlier. And it would have been a standard higher than even Jesus held himself to. As when we look to the Gospels and we see Jesus calling out the Pharisees and others, calling them brood of vipers and whitewashed tombs, and warning people of their evil influence. I don't think this is saying we never say anything negative about anyone. But the point is, we should not speak about someone in anger or in revenge. Uh, where we're just trying to say the worst thing that we can say about somebody. Uh, that should not be our attitude. We should not be seeking vengeance with our words. We should not be looking to just be hateful or even just complaining with what we say, especially behind someone's back. This admonition here really could also be translated as slander no one. So we're not to do that. Paul also then goes on to say to avoid quarreling. Or again, it could be translated as be peaceable. And he also says that we're to be gentle. You could say be kind. Now, we're not to be argumentative. We're not to be picking fights. But we're to be gracious towards others. We're to be kind towards others. Paul says here that we're to show perfect or all or, or complete courtesy towards all people. All people. Whether governing officials or believers or unbelievers or someone who just boils your buttons. Yes, I said boil your buttons, not push your buttons. <laughs> Boiling your buttons is beyond pushing your buttons. But we're here to show all courtesy to such people. This is the attitude we should have as followers of Jesus Christ, as those who've been paid for, bought by the blood of Christ. We're to have this attitude towards all people without exception. And man, that's hard. As I was studying throughout the week, and even as I'm saying this now, those two quotes that I've referenced before, kept going through my head, one where Alistair Begg says that uh, before that you preach a text, the, the passage has to plow your own soul. And then to the quote from John Calvin when he said, if a preacher is not first preaching to himself, but that he better that he falls on the steps of the pulpit and break his neck than preach that sermon. That quote goes through my head a lot. <laughs> And it did certainly this week. And that's hard. And so I read this and say, this is, this is mostly all for me as I'm thinking through this. As I think of the countless times that I failed at these things. There should be in my life no room for slander. No room for responding in frustration. But to always be peaceable. Not revengeful, but kind. 
showing all courtesy to all people. All people without exception. That's hard. Because we can get frustrated with people. We can feel justified in responding with our frustration. Because you just don't know what they did. And I don't think Paul, here in this passage, is denying how hard what he's calling for is. But what he's going to do is show us the basis of it. And that basis, no matter how great the difficulty of falling through with these attitudes that Paul is calling for with, the basis for this calling is greater. Because again, the basis for this calling is the gospel. The gospel is what should shape our attitude towards other people. The gospel should shape how we respond to other people. And that's what we see here. And we need that. We need to take time to reflect on that because, again, this is hard. It can be so easy for any one of us here reading this to go through this and say, Really? Are you really saying that I need to be courteous to all people, even the most inconsiderate people I know? Are you really saying that I need to be kind, be peaceable? Are you kidding me right now? Seriously, Paul? You don't know what I put up with. You don't know what my neighbor does. You don't know what I have to deal with when I go to work. You obviously don't have my in-laws. Right? And yet, Paul is saying this is what you must do. And thankfully, he doesn't just leave it at this is what you must do. He tells us why. We must do this. And the why is there in verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our day in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Why should I be peaceable? Why should I be kind and courteous? Well, in telling us why, Paul begins with a reminder. Remember, we, we, we need to be reminded. We need reminders, and Paul is reminding us right here. And he's reminding us that the truth of the matter is, when you get right down to the heart of it, that we really, in of ourselves, in our nature, are no better than those who frustrate us. We're no different in of ourselves. The innate sinful nature of even anyone around us, the unbelievers, our neighbors, co-workers, family members, that's natural to you and me as well. I was foolish. I ignored God. I was ignorant of him and his ways. I was immoral. I was disobedient. God had given me a conscience. There were things I knew were wrong, but I did them anyway, knowing they were wrong. I was disobedient. I was deceived. I thought I was a pretty good person. I mean, why not? I mean, there's people worse than me, right? But in fact, I was following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. I was a slave to my desires and all kinds of pleasures. Hey, if it feels good, if it feels right, if I like it, I enjoy it, why not? There was all kinds of wickedness in my heart, my intents and my thoughts, not just my outward actions, my inner person. 
I was living despicably and hateful. That was me, that was all of us. Now you might say, no, that's not me. That's not me. That might be my neighbor, but that's not me. Uh, That might be my family member, that's not me. That, That might be the guy I see at work, but that's not me. I don't act like that. And you might not act like that. But listen, none of us do as evil of things as we could. None of us are as evil as we could be. And yet, sin touches every part of who we are. Every aspect of our being is affected by sin. We are evil through and through. And the only reason that we don't do the things that they do, uh, when we see some heinous crime, somebody arrested on the news, the reason uh, we aren't doing what they have been arrested for is not because of some innate goodness and righteousness within ourselves. Because there is none. We are wicked through and through. Uh, Even uh, R.C. Sproul said, not even Hitler killed his own mother. No one is as evil as they could be. But not because of anything in of themselves, but only because of God's common grace restraining sin in us. We all have the, the leanings towards things. We all have the capability. But God's grace restrains evil in us. God knows the depth of our wickedness. And really, if we're honest with ourselves, uh, we know the thoughts that we've had. We know the intents of our hearts. Uh, we, we know uh, the inner thoughts and, and the secret sins that nobody else knows about. If we're honest, we have some idea of our wickedness. The truth really is we're no better. All mankind lives as an enemy of God. No one naturally seeks God. They don't seek the one true God. They they seek the God of their own liking. And isn't that what Paul says? No one seeks God, right? That's Romans 3 when he's quoting the Psalms. And this includes you and me. And you see there in verse 3, Paul includes himself in this. And Titus and the believers there on Crete at that time. We were all this way when we lived as fools and in disobedience. But, verse 4, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. We who belong to Christ, who have experienced God's saving grace, we were just like them. We were just like them. These things characterized us as well, but it no longer does. We were this way. But then the goodness and loving kindness of God Our Savior appeared, and he saved us. And if we are different than we once were, if we've been transformed, it is not because of anything within us, but only because of God's grace towards us. His saving grace, that grace we talked about last week, that trains us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly in this present age. It's because of his grace that goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. And when did it appear? On one hand, it appeared when Christ appeared, just like we talked about grace last week. It appeared when Christ appeared, when he who is God took on a human nature, living the perfect life. 
He came and he gave himself for us to redeem us from all our lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Right? Again, that's what we read last week. And so he saved us. God saved us. And there's a sense in which this uh, loving kindness, this goodness of God appeared when Christ appeared, and there's also a sense that it appeared when he saved us. That moment that he created faith in us that we would repent and believe. And why did he save us? Because I was so good and worth saving? No, clearly not. Verse 3 already blows that out of the water. No, he did not save us because of any righteousness that is in ourselves, any good works that we have done. But he saved us according to his own mercy. Even in our rebellion against God. Even when we were only deserving death and wrath. As we had spit in the face of our creator. And so committed, as R.C. Sproul says in his book, The Holiness of God, cosmic treason living foolish and disobedient. And yet God showed us mercy. God showed us kindness only when we deserved death and wrath. He saved us. And he saved us by the washing of regeneration. We're not saved by our outward actions, by whatever good that we can do, that we perform. No, that's not it at all. We're saved by the cleansing, the inward cleansing of the inner person, which was done for us, regenerating us, making us born again. That when God saved us, he did not keep us the same. We're no longer who we used to be. So we can't continue living on as we used to be. Like we said last week, that would be to live in complete contradiction to this salvation. See, because God saved us according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. You who are saved, you who have been born again, have been spiritually reborn to now have a Holy Spirit-empowered life. So what God has done. At the moment of salvation, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit washed us and renewed us. The Holy Spirit, whom God poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. God poured out the Holy Spirit on all who would believe, on all who did believe at that moment of faith. He's a gift for all of us that he would indwell us. And this is such a blessing for us. We've got, we got to recognize the blessing that this is. You know, the Old Testament saints, they, they didn't have the blessing, at least to the extent and fullness that we do in the church. That the Holy Spirit would, would come upon certain individuals to empower them for certain tasks. But we in the church, we are all indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He indwells all of us and empowers all of us for tasks within the church to serve each other and serve our Lord in that way. That he empowers us and sanctifying us, changing us from the inside out, growing us in holiness. We have such a blessing in having the Holy Spirit indwell us. He empowers us to renounce ungodliness, 
and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. He empowers us to be ready for every good work. By God's grace, he has given us his spirit through Jesus Christ. God saved us by his mercy when he gave us his spirit, who applied salvation to us in the washing of regeneration, who made us new. And all of this was purchased and made possible by the work of Jesus Christ. That's what he has done in saving us. And so notice, who brought about our salvation? God and God alone. All three persons of the Trinity. And God poured out his spirit richly through Jesus Christ. And then verse 7 gives us the reason why he did that. Saying, so that, so that having been justified, uh, having been declared righteous in God's sight, we have no righteousness, and yet we have been declared righteous in God's sight. Being declared righteous, again, not in our own, but in the righteousness of Jesus Christ which is by faith, by the free gift of God's grace. God saved us. He justifies by his grace that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This great salvation that God alone has accomplished makes it so that you and I have the hope, the guarantee of eternal life. Look how great and how kind God has been towards us. We who have rebelled against our Creator, we who have spit in His face, He who made us for Himself, we live for ourselves. We didn't seek God. We were foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating others, and yet he showed us mercy. And yet he gave us the hope of eternal life. When we were inconsiderate, he considered us in his mercy. So if God treated us, who were so wicked, with such kindness... Why shouldn't we show kindness to others? See, that, that's the point here, remember. That's what it all comes to. God was so kind to us. And that's the basis then for us to turn around and be kind to others. Even others who we would deem don't deserve our kindness. Because guess what? We certainly did not deserve God's kindness. And yet he saved us by his mercy. See, when we fail to be kind to others, we're forgetting how wicked we were. When we're saying, listen, they don't deserve my kindness. They don't deserve my, me being courteous towards them. We're forgetting our own wickedness. Uh, we're standing in self-righteousness at that point. But we need to reflect on the gospel. that says, no, there's no righteousness in you. It is only by God's mercy that you can say, by his grace. So if God was so kind to such an undeserving sinner like me, who is there that I should not be kind to? Who is there that I should not be courteous towards? There's no one. For no matter how sinful someone has been towards me, it cannot compare to my infinite 
offense against the infinitely holy God. That costs my Savior to have to pay an infinite price to make that salvation possible. And he did. He paid for my sin. He satisfied the wrath against me. How great is he who so loved me and gave himself for me. No wonder, as we mentioned John Newton last week, no wonder he said, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Let us not forget the gospel. Let us not forget who we were and the great depths then of love and mercy that God has shown to us. You know, when John Newton, when he was on his deathbed, one of the, the last recorded statements uh, of him, is when a friend went to see him, and he said about how he was old and his memory was slipping, and he said, but these two things I remember, I'm a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. Man, if we can keep that perspective before us in everything we do, we will live with the attitudes that Paul is calling for. We will live with an attitude of seeking to be obedient to our government, seeking to have an attitude of submission, even when we disagree, even when we strongly disagree. We seek to have this submissive attitude. And we seek uh, to show kindness and courtesy to all of those around us, even those who, who boil our buttons. Because we know the great kindness. We know that I, I am a great sinner. But Christ is my great Savior. And it affects everything I do. And so I can take the kindness of God and I can pay it forward. It's hard. But remember the gospel. It's based in the gospel. Our whole life, the Christian life, is based in the gospel, empowered in the grace that saves. So let us preach the gospel to ourselves. Let us remember how great a Savior we have. Let's remember the kindness of God and pay it Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of North Valley Baptist Church. For the complete sermon archive and more information about the church, please go to visit nvbc.com.